I hardly need to say what a great pleasure and privilege it is to share in the ordination of John Percival today. It's a great encouragement to see God calling out young men to be pastors and teachers. My mind has gone back this week, John, I don't know how many years ago it was, not all that long ago, but a few years ago, when we met for coffee in Cambridge one morning and shared your hopes for the future. And today sees the answer to many prayers on the part of many people. I want us to turn to the last passage we read, John 21, the passage that begins at verse 15. It was early morning, a morning after a frustrating and fruitless night of work. After Jesus' death and resurrection, Peter and the other apostles had returned to Galilee. The Lord Jesus had promised that he would meet them there. And Peter and six of his companions had returned to their fishing. But having worked all night, they had caught absolutely nothing. And then an apparent stranger appears on the shore. Remember, it was just daylight. And having asked a question about their success in fishing, he proceeded to give them instructions. Immediately, memory was stimulated. And the identity of the stranger became clear. Impetuous as ever, Peter jumped out of the boat, swam the hundred yards to shore. And as they came to shore, there was breakfast awaiting them. There was a fire of burning coals, and there was bread, and there was fish. And when breakfast was over, the Lord Jesus directed questions particularly at Peter. Now this passage, I think, has special relevance to this morning. You will understand if I address myself particularly to John, but my prayer has been that there will be something in the passage for all of us. But this passage, John, gives us, I think, right views and perspectives on ministry and service. First of all, it helps you to have a right view of yourself. Inevitably, today, people's focus is upon you and the call you've received. But basic to that call, there is this simple yet profound truth that God uses people who are flawed, F-L-A-W-E-D, flawed, but forgiven. Now that must be said of all to whom God has given his call to service. Just look back over the Bible. Think of Abraham, that man outstanding for his faith, in whose footsteps we are meant to tread. But you cannot read his life without remembering some of the unhappy mistakes that he made. The same was said of Moses, to whom God entrusted his law and by whom he led his people out of Egypt. But Moses too made mistakes. David, the anointed king, the man after God's own heart, made a disastrous mistake with serious consequences. And all of these men and others were flawed, but forgiven. 
in God's grace. And that was true of Peter. The three questions that the Lord Jesus addressed to Peter were clearly meant to parallel the three occasions when Peter had denied his Lord at the time of Jesus' arrest. And this passage describes how Peter was restored to the service of the Lord Jesus. I guess if I had been Peter, I would have thought that I was now a write-off, an irredeemable failure, but not so. And the Apostle Paul identifies with that. He says, we have this treasure, this treasure of the gospel of our Saviour, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. God uses flawed men and women. It's quite amazing to think that he does. One lunchtime, I watched cash on the attic. Oh, cash in the attic, isn't it? And I saw them produce not these pieces of china. These are just straightforward pool pottery taken from our kitchen. And as they held up the pieces of china, the expert said, well, yes, these will be quite valuable. But you see, then he produced one just like this one here. But you see it's chipped. Oh, yes, it's usable but it's not collectible. John, God does not collect perfect individuals. He collects flawed individuals whom he redeems and forgives. And that's always been the case. And I think that's helpful, John, because as people will undoubtedly be focusing upon you today. I want you to remember that you're always vulnerable, always susceptible to spiritual danger, especially temptation. Never forget your human vulnerability. Above all else, guard your heart, for from it is the wellspring of life. It's not for nothing that Paul said to the Ephesian elders, Take heed of yourselves and of the flock. Your soul must be your first concern. When you read the Bible, you mustn't just read it because you're going to give it to your God's people at St. Peter's Barge, but for your own benefit. Be watchful of your own walk with God. And over your life today, John, and I hope every day, you will see written these words, flawed, but forgiven. Forgiven and grateful. But the second important view you ought to have of yourself from this passage is that of an under-shepherd. The Lord Jesus called Peter to care for his sheep. Now, you might think that That's not a very good picture for today. The majority of people live in cities and where John is going, it will be a very densely populated and busy part of London every day of the week. And we might imagine that a different image is required for the 21st century. But we have to retain it for this very simple reason that it is the preeminent picture God uses of himself regarding his people. 
And it's especially precious to them. Is there any psalm that is more precious than Psalm 23? In the Old Testament, the shepherd is the one who goes before his sheep. He guides them, he leads them at times, he even carries them. He leads them into green pastures and by still waters. He watches over them. He neither slumbers nor sleeps in his watchfulness. And when we go to the New Testament, the image of shepherd belongs especially to God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd of the sheep. And he's called the chief shepherd because he is uniquely the shepherd of the sheep. And it's he who entrusts to individuals the care of his flock. Therefore, it's a great privilege, John, to be an under-shepherd of the chief shepherd. You have particular responsibility for feeding, nurturing, caring God's flock. Peter referred to that passage in Ephesians where it says of the Lord Jesus that when he ascended up on high, he gave gifts. He gave gifts of some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. Now, some of those gifts, for example, it would seem they were temporary in nature, apostles and prophets. But pastors and teachers, the task we're looking at this morning remains. And you will know, John, because your Greek is certainly much better than mine, that that phrase, pastors and teachers, refers just to one person. And significantly, it's not teachers and pastors, but pastors and teachers. Because although the Lord Jesus was the great teacher of the word, the title he rejoiced in most of all was the title shepherd. John, remember, flawed, but forgiven, but called to be an under-shepherd. To what have you been ordained this morning? To be a shepherd of the Lord Jesus' sheep. But then, you see, it gives a right view of God's people. The picture is very simple and profound. You may feel it's not very complimentary of us, but God's people are sheep. And while there are lots of other ways of thinking of God's people, God's building the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the family. In the Bible, the flock is the foremost picture. And I think that is so because there are three implications of it. The first is this, that each member of the flock is unspeakably precious to the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus said in that passage that we read in John 10, that he lays down his life for his sheep. One of the godliest pastors was a man called Richard Baxter. He worked in Kidderminster. And in one of his writings, he imagines the Lord Jesus speaking to him. Did I die for them? And will you not look after them? Were they worth my blood? And are they not worth your labour? Second, the flock is made up of both lambs and sheep. 
And John, you're to be mindful of the needs of both. That means that for some, you will need to provide milk, and for others, solids. I'm grateful for all the training you've had, John. You've received more academic training than most, but never be simply academic in your approach to God's word. In other words, you're not only to instruct God's people, but you're to feed them, the lambs and the sheep. And then third, it reminds us that every member of the flock is wayward. Whenever the New Testament uses this picture, it takes for granted, it would seem, this proneness. You remember the Old Testament picture in Isaiah 53? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Now, to understand this picture of sheep, we need to remember that when the Lord Jesus used the picture of himself as the shepherd, he was not thinking of a western shepherd, but of a near eastern shepherd. And those characteristics he gives in John 10 are the ones we're to take on board. Let me just mention them. First, he knows his sheep so well that he calls them by name, implying that he knows and understands their characters. John, as you go to St. Peter's Barge, as you return there tomorrow, you need to know the sheep by their name, their individual personalities. It means that you'll take the initiative in getting to know them and being available to them. In fact, your personal knowledge of them will mean that you're sensitive to their needs as you open God's word. Secondly, the Lord Jesus says that his sheep know him. They know his voice and listen to it since he's earned their respect. John, the sheep in St. Peter's Barge, you need to know them but they need to know you. Never be aloof or distant from them. When you address them, don't say so much you, but say we whenever you can. Be honest with them about your own temptations and difficulties, not flaunting them, but identifying with them in their battles as being your battles too. And then the Lord Jesus always has his sheep's best interests at heart, even laying down his life for them. And John, every time you stand up, whether it's midweek or on a Sunday, among those to whom you speak, there will be those who are wounded, anxious, afraid, and there will be those who need alerting to danger, need warning. But as Richard Baxter again put it, when the people see that you unfeignedly love them, they will hear anything and bear anything from you and follow you the most easily. And then the fourth thing I would point out is that the Lord Jesus is not consent simply with the status quo of the flock. It's interesting that in that passage you'd read, he's always concerned for the other sheep. Here's the shepherd who would leave the 99 for the sake of one that is lost. And John, I know, as in my experience, that one of the tasks that an under-shepherd may forget or neglect most readily is the need of the lost sheep. Not only are you to care for the sheep brought in, 
but for those who are still lost. We don't all have the gift of an evangelist, but we all have to do the work of an evangelist. If you were being ordained by a bishop, and I'm not giving any special priority to bishops, but if you were ordained in the Church of England, the bishop would say this to you, that you're ordained to seek for Christ's sheep that is dispersed abroad, that they may be saved by Christ forever. And by your example, by the way in which you preach the gospel, those for whom you care will be inspired to proclaim it. Here in Edinburgh, there were three godly young men. I have a great admiration for them. They were living in the first third or half of the 19th century. Robert Murray McChain, Alexander Somerville, and Andrew Bonner. And when they entered the ministry, they covenanted every Saturday night to pray for one another for the following Sunday. And then they used to meet from time to time to encourage one another. And on one occasion as they were meeting, James Hamilton, who was minister of Regent Square Church in London, that's just by King's Cross Station, he joined them and he said, what's your subject this morning? They said, the question whether we should always set forth the gospel in every sermon. Good question. And what is your conclusion, asked James Hamilton. We all agree we must, they said. Quite right, was Dr. Hamilton's reply. But I don't practice it always, for my literary gift misleads me. That is what God's people want, and that is what those who are not his people need. I wonder whether it's significant that he was the only one of the four of them who was called doctor, but he had lost the priority of the gospel for the lost. John, do not do that. In being a shepherd, do not forget the lost sheep. The urgency with which you preach the gospel every time you minister will be conveyed to those who then go back to their offices during the week or to their work after a Sunday. So then, John, see God's people as sheep, sheep who need to be protected, led and fed. And remember that they're not yours. Jesus said to Peter, don't feed your sheep, but feed my sheep. But then the third thing that I want to share with you is that this gives you a right view of the Lord Jesus. Who is he? He's the great shepherd of the sheep. He's the one to whom you're answerable. And he's the one whose reward, commendation, you ultimately seek. And what this passage underlines, and it's relevant to every one of us here this morning, is that he is the supreme object of your love. I hope you will love being a pastor. But that's not your supreme love. Each of the three questions that the Lord Jesus asked were about Peter's love. Peter, do you love me? To love the Lord Jesus is to love him for all that he is. To love the Lord Jesus is to love his company. 
To love the Lord Jesus is to be concerned above everything else for his reputation, good name and honour. To love him is to be devoted to serving him. And what he says here, John, so clearly to you is that your love for him will be seen in your love for his people. That's true for all of us. Your love for him will be seen in your love for his people. And whatever the spiritual state of God's people, you're to love them. That will mean that you're never professional. May God deliver us from being professional pastors or teachers or preachers. The Lord Jesus looks for our love. Just two final things that come from this. Did you notice how the Lord Jesus underlines whose disciple Peter needed to be and John needs to be? Look at verse 18. Having said for the third time, feed my sheep, the Lord Jesus said, I tell you the truth, when you were younger you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you were old you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. There's evidence that the early Christians took this reference to the stretching out of the hands as a reference to crucifixion. Tertullian tells us that Peter was crucified in Rome under Nero and that he saw in his crucifixion the fulfilment of these words of Jesus. And the Lord Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, if you're going to care for my sheep, you've got to be willing to follow me. For me, that meant the way of the cross. And there will be an element of the cross experience in anyone who wants to serve God's people. And while Peter could never enter into the redemptive sufferings of the Lord Jesus, by his obedience to God, he could be identified with his Saviour in his love for his people. And then did you notice, John, that the purpose that God has for his servants is unique. Look at verse 20 onwards. When Jesus foretold Peter's sufferings, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. One of the dangers for all of us is to look at others and to think that the way in which they have to follow the Lord Jesus is exactly the same for us. But when Peter said, what about John? Then if I've got to experience this Lord, what about John? Jesus said, what is that to you? You follow me. John, called to be a pastor, yes. But called above all to be a disciple. It was good that we prayed not only for your service this morning, but that Peter prayed for your personal walk with the Lord Jesus. Jesus says to you this morning, follow me.
For if you follow him, following you, those to whom you minister, will be led to follow the Lord Jesus. So let me conclude. John, I hope from this passage you see what success is. It is to be a faithful under-shepherd and a continuing disciple of the Lord Jesus. It's appropriate that you should want to be successful, successful as God sees it. What I long for you, John, is that every time you stand up, and in my imagination, I can see you doing it midweek, I can see you doing it perhaps twice on a Sunday. As you stand up, I long that you will remember the words of the Lord Jesus when he says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, and that they'll never go away hungry, and they will never go away without catching a glimpse of the chief shepherd. And then I want to say a word to us all. You see, we see here how we may best pray for John. I would long that every time you pray, as I'm sure you do on a Sunday, for those who will minister the word here, for the pastor and those who share the ministry with him, wouldn't it be lovely if all of us who know and love John covenanted with God's help that every Sunday morning we will pray that God will make him a faithful under-shepherd and a good disciple of the Lord Jesus. If God does lay that upon your heart, write it down. Make sure you do it. Can I just say this to us all? Do you feel this morning that you're a flawed human being? So many deficiencies that others may not be able to see, but you're aware of the chips and the floors. Well, we're all flawed. In fact, it's part of the grace of God that we realize it. And remember that God doesn't use perfect specimens of humanity. He uses forgiven, redeemed men and women. And I wonder if there's someone here this morning and you're like Peter. You've written yourself off because you've made so many mistakes. Perhaps you're in a spiritual wilderness. You've wandered far from the shepherd. Let me remind you that the shepherd cares particularly for the sheep that have wandered. And perhaps God is calling you this morning to come back to the shepherd to come back to where you lost him, that he may find you again. And I wonder if God is calling you to some special service this morning. I've wondered as I prayed for this morning whether there might not be some young man in this congregation who's been feeling for a while that perhaps God is calling him into the service of God's people in some special way. If he is, Ask that he'll show you what he wants you to do. Say yes to him, whatever his will may be. And I want to end by praying a prayer that was written down by Martin Luther, that great reformer. 
It's a prayer that John will be able to especially pray and some who are in pastoral office, but it will also be a prayer in parts that we can all identify with. And so after just a moment of quiet prayer as we respond to God's word, I want to pray the prayer and I'd ask you at the end to join with your Amen where the prayer fits you. Let's pray together. Lord God, you have made me a pastor and teacher in your church. You see how unfit I am to administer rightly this great responsible office. And had I been without your aid and counsel, I would surely have ruined it long ago. Therefore do I appeal to you. How gladly do I desire to yield and consecrate my heart and mouth to this ministry you've given to me. I desire to teach your people. I too desire ever to learn and to keep your word my constant companion and to meditate upon it earnestly. Use me as your instrument in your service. Only do not forsake me, for if I am left to myself, I will certainly bring it all to destruction. And this I ask, For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen.